coming up in this episode. When we had to pivot, yes, it was a little bit painful to pivot away from that idea. I, this is how I reconcile it for myself. It's what's the job of an inventor is to solve a problem. There's an existing problem, use technology to solve it and make life easier. And once you succeed doing that, that's the fulfillment an inventor gets. What you said was that the universe is quote unquote chaos. Um, whereas I believe the universe to be wonderfully designed. Um, and actually that's that's spoken about in uh, in scripture. It's, it's very much emphasized in uh, in the Quran. And by the way, my main takeaway from that is just that God, God doesn't do co-founders by the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, just to tie it back into <laughs> the beginning. Do you know when you're doing a highlight reel? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put that. Okay, <laughs> this will be the guy in the beginning. <laughs> okay. The Founders Unplugged podcast hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hello, how about you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. A lot's happened since uh, since we last spoke. Uh, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy few weeks. Yes, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm keen to get stuck in and hear all about it. Um, I'm loving your background, by the way. You've got a lot going on there. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This- like uh, my office at home, this is where I get most of my masterminding work done, my my evil schemes. Your evil schemes, yeah. Hi, Rami, how are you? Greg, hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. We were just uh, we we're just making small talk, uh, waiting for you to show up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's great to meet you. Uh, uh, yeah, Alice has told me a lot about you. Um, so we've obviously not met yet, but, uh, but uh, I feel like I know you already. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so look, thank you so much for jumping on. As you probably noticed, we're already recording. Uh, we, we like to get straight into it. Um, uh, I like to just get straight stuck in. And um, as I'm sure uh, Alice already mentioned to you, like this is this is pretty laid back. We're just having a conversation. You know, just going to learn a bit more about you guys and hear a bit more about your story. You, you know, as you already mentioned, that uh, a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks and since we last spoke. So I'll be keen to hear about all of that. Um, but I do, I suppose, do have one small amount of uh, semblance of structure to this entire thing, <laughs> which is at the beginning, I think it's very useful for those listening and watching to get a sense of who you are and a bit about the business. So perhaps uh, if you wouldn't mind taking turns, introducing yourselves and then telling the world a bit more about you, Maker. Could I introduce Remy? Go for it. If, uh, yeah, I mean, it's up to you guys. Right. <laughs> introduce each other. Yeah. I don't know. I'll do Rami because he's so unbelievably humble. He'll just say, yeah, I, I'm a guy. I do this thing. And then, <laughs> okay. Right. It's better if I do. Okay. So by way of introduction, my name is Abbas. Uh, I'm a chartered accountant by training and I currently head uh, the sales function um, at uh, at Umaker. Uh, that's my life and that's my uh, my role. This guy um what can i tell you about this guy he's uh he's pretty exceptional uh his name is rami akili uh born in iraq unfortunately he had to leave uh during the war uh got asylum in sweden learned swedish decided to become a physicist as you do and an inventor again as you do uh at the tender age of i think 20 he designed and patented a new way of harnessing battery technology he really puts me to shame, actually. I, I feel quite stupid around him. Um, and um, yeah, started a, an electric bicycle company and then decided, you know what, I'm going to do AI. And uh, here we are with uh, with Umaker and uh, what a journey it's been. How do you feel about that introduction? 
<laughs> I I didn't pay our boss to say this. I can assure you. <laughs> no, that's that's wonderful. Thank you. Did it, did it go as scripted? Yeah. Did it, uh, did it go as planned? <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And also, apologies. I was pronouncing your name wrong. I was calling you Abbas. It's Abbas, right? I I have so many different variations of my name. It's Abs and Abzi and some of my what, friends. What do you prefer? Uh, Abbas. Abbas is fine. Okay. All right. Cool. Abbas. Um, well, yeah, good introduction. And um, well, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this one, but why not? Uh, who would like to, to tell uh, the audience a bit more about Umaker and what it is and where the idea came from? Well, I think uh, Rami's probably best bet to uh, to handle this question. How far back do you want to go? Because it's been a long journey. <laughs> we, we've got time. So as far back as you want to. Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, the story of Umaker started off as something completely different from what it is now. Um, initially, the whole idea, and this is the, the thing that we, Abbas and I, we came around to build, was, was supposed to be uh, a marketplace where inventors can connect with expert engineers to prototype items. And this was around the time 3D printing was becoming more prominent. And we thought this is an incredible market event because 3D printing makes prototyping a lot easier and more cost efficient. Um, and so it was just an obvious thing that we should build a platform around 3D printing and let people prototype their homemade inventions. Um, Long story short, what ended up happening is we didn't we didn't end up attracting inventors. What we ended up attracting was final year engineering students who were looking to prototype their final year's project. And uh, that 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 became our customers. So we kind of like we got sucked into edtech um, without without really um, meaning to do so. Um, but the one thing that came out of that interaction with students is they wanted help with writing their project reports So say, well, you know, it's great. You've helped us build this prototype, but now we need to build a report around it. Can you help us with that too? And we're like, well, how are we going to do that? Like, are we going to bring in, you know, academic writers onto the platform and, and do, is it even ethical to like write it on behalf of the, the student? Um, so that's what, um, led me to start thinking about, well, can software, can AI in particular, help a student draft a report? Um, and that's what led us into large language models, uh, machine learning, and I started to, to experiment with this. And you know what? It looked like it was possible. And this was way before the generative AI that we have today, you know, ChatGPT and all that stuff. We started doing all that even before ChatGPT came out. Before it was cool. Before it was cool, yeah, before it was known that you know software can do this. Yeah. So we launched our first MVP, um, and that was a product that helps students generate essays and project reports and kind of like helps the student co-write their piece 10 times faster than they would have done manually. Mm. So we launched that product, and we were absolutely gobsmacked by the traction that we got. I mean, it, it was so much more successful than the inventions platform that we, I, I just can't tell you. Like within a few months, we reached 100,000 users without spending any money on marketing. It was literally just students using it once 
mm. they get blown away by it and they share it with like 30 other students. Yeah, so it has, really has virality to it. Has, yeah, exactly. It was like mm. we, we really um, hit a chord with students when we launched that product. And that's when we thought, you know what? This is something here. We, we, need, we need to double down on this. So we kind of like abandoned the invention idea and we focused 100% on this because we could see such a clear product market fit. Mm. So um, uh, uh, now with that kind of growth, uh, Greg, that actually put us on a trajectory to become a billion dollar company. Like mm. we, were, we were heading somewhere and we were heading fast yeah. until ChatGPT dropped. <laughs> and that really rug pulled us. Like we, like we were going so fast, we were becoming so successful and at the same rate, we were like starting to decline immediately the moment ChatGPT came out because obviously it was it could do similar things and mm. it was free. That was the main point. So there was no way for us to compete uh, on that use case, and that kind of like forced us into our new product, which we're working on now, and that's what's creating all the buzz that you hear about in the media currently. It's basically we managed to take what we've learned through our experience with AI and create a model that can predict your upcoming exam questions. And so if you're studying for your GCSEs or A-levels or whatever, you know, university test or whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, by giving us some information about that exam, we can predict with a level of accuracy what's likely to come up. Mm -hmm. And once we do so, we can create practice questions that are similar to what's about to come up so that you can practice ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially the idea. Now, this is another blockbuster idea is, is what we feel because, you know, the reception from the students has been amazing, from investors has been amazing. Um, and it's the one thing that ChatGPT cannot do this time. Yeah. So we thought, okay, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, play, you're playing a game. <laughs> like, well, yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Ready for next year. Just I, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's um, that's the position we're in. We constantly have to innovate, you know, to yeah. Yeah. to keep going. And and in hindsight, even though it was disheartening when our growth was kind of like snapped out of us by ChatGPT, it was like it was a really terrible time uh, back then. Um, but in hindsight. We see it as a blessing in disguise because it really forced us to innovate. Mm. And now we've come up with a use case that is far more innovative than what than anything we've done before, frankly. Mm. Um, so that's the story. Um, and, and here we are. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you're right about that innovation. I think that's a very important way to look at in any business, right? And and judging by both of your backgrounds, you, you, you'd be pretty used to, to taking that approach um, for the large parts of your career. So it's an important, it's a very important thing to look at, especially in the in the area of AI, which is a very fast paced, fast moving uh, ecosystem. Uh, I suppose if you were to snooze and like, you know, lay down on that one, you could get zoomed by competitors pretty damn quickly, right? I think in terms of like my background, I, I used to work at Deutsche Bank and Deutsche Bank was 100,000 people um, mm -hmm. and instigating any form of new change. It was very, very, very difficult. Um, right. And I think that's the case with most large organizations. Mm -hmm. In order to go as quickly as we have, you need to be um, a startup. You need to be extremely uh, nimble. Um, and I think further to your question, um, I think in the early stages of the business, um, you know, especially abandoning uh, inventions and then moving towards AI, you know, that took a lot of, um, 
I would say it actually took a lot of courage. Um, mm. We'd invested so much time and our effort and our energy um, into building that, and it just wasn't successful. Um, and I think um, that was the first iteration of not just the business, but of our, ourselves that right. abandon the idea, but don't abandon the business. Mm. Uh, go through the process of iteration, go to the user, ask them for feedback, you know, try to solve their problems, test what you're offering them, and then just continue going through that iterative cycle. We've done that now so many times. Um, we've run so many experiments that we're now, you know, battle hardened, I think. Um, mm. The, uh, the emotional roller coaster of the startup now for Rami and I I mean we're, we're not we're not as uh, temperamental uh, or as emotional as we once were mm. but it's interesting because that's something that that um, is a really important soft skill I guess you could say um, and hard skill practical skill for, for most startup founders to have but very very difficult to achieve that level of self-awareness and even to position yourself as a company whereby you can get that data for it to be actionable in the first place is very difficult. You were quite fortunate in that you were given an abundance of it by these, you know, these tens of hundreds of thousands of users. But but even then, I can imagine it must have been quite a painful decision, you know, like you said, for the emotional attachment, maybe more than anything else and in, in what your idea was previously to then let that go. Yeah, I think that's one of the dangers of entrepreneurship. Mm. In entrepreneurs um get too attached you can be married to your ideas right and you're just unwilling to give it up you know you, you keep yeah. on fighting and fighting and fighting and i think that's imperative you need to have a level of um endeavor as an entrepreneur to keep going in the face of criticism or um negative feedback you need to push through those walls um, and maintain a level of enthusiasm simultaneously it's also important to look at the reality of the business, the market, its defensibility, um, and the future of the business uh, and, and the idea and marry these. Um, and I think a lot of founders, I think, struggle to, to find that balance between maintaining yeah. enthusiasm and then being, um, you know, I guess, candid enough to say, look, the idea isn't working and we might need to try something else. It's a very, very difficult balance to, uh, to achieve. And I'm, it, you know those who know me will tell you that i am i'm quite an emotional guy but rami thankfully i mean this guy's got temperament like a freaking you know uh, I, I don't know what the what is the metaphor this guy is just ice cold <laughs> you know there's the uh, fighter pilot in top gun his name mm -hmm. is uh iceman right. that's rami you know rami's just chilled out all the time and so he makes the journey much much easier for the time. maybe on the outside if i if i know uh people i know people like that quite well i can sometimes put that that uh that you know facade on so mm. for the outside everyone thinks oh, yeah that guy's cool he's calm he's collected always makes the right decision on the inside it's just like a screaming gerbil just constantly like you know <laughs> he, he is arab so there is something inside of him that's just really right. cool. <laughs> it's just hidden <laughs> yeah repressed rage just ready to burst at any moment yeah but um no it's interesting i mean there's that famous saying isn't there which i'll probably butcher now which is you know as a founder you should have a strongly held set of loosely held beliefs um which yeah i think i've completely paraphrased that but um it's very important but but um but at what point is it you know that the, the business you know because did it go to a direction that you were fortunately also interested in solving the problems of those individuals had it gone to another direction do you think you would have abandoned it entirely because if it is quite removed from serving in inventors 
to then serving students. Um, so do you feel quite fortunate that it was still in the same space that you still had enough interest in to continue pursuing? I think I'll answer that from my perspective. And I think Rami's got a different perspective to, to mine. Um, so like I went to, I went to state school, you know, throughout my life. Um, yeah. And when I hit my postgrad um, as a chartered accountant, I, I then went to, um, I read venture finance at, um, for another postgrad. And basically um, the, the differences um, between private and state then, then became very apparent to me. Um, right. And, um, you know, I was very blessed in my life and that some good people came into my life and really uplifted me. You know, I, I stand on the shoulders of others, but I, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are many millions of students, not just, you know, in Europe, but globally, who get left behind academically. Mm. That's something that, you know, I'm quite passionate about, to, you know, it's a problem I, I would like to, to remedy, um, even if it is by a small extent. Um, and I think, um, you know, Rami's experience, and he can, he can talk about that, you know, um, lends, to, lends to solving that problem on a, on a wider basis. And so we are inherently, instinctively, um, I think, accustomed to the problem. Um, and uh, we've lived, to some extent, that problem. Mm. And um, yeah, but if, if say, for example, post inventions, it had gone into a completely different area, like, I don't know, horticulture, I can't tell you I'll be as excited about mm -hmm. it. I don't think there'd be much um, VC interest in, in that space as well. Uh, so yeah, we just happen to fall into an area where for me personally, there's a level of excitement and a level of endeavor. But also it just happens to be one of the, if not the hottest investment areas um, for a long, long time, you know. Mm. Yeah, what's your take on that, Remy? Do you feel do you feel like you're fortunate that it happened to in some ways turn out that this tool was useful for an area that that just so happened to be one that you could you could find yourself to be passionate about as uh, just as much, if not more so, than than the previous idea? Yeah, I guess we're fortunate enough that uh, we took the AI direction long before it it was a thing um, yeah. and that gave us a head start to learning the technology learning the ins and outs of it because this is generative ai is new and, and there aren't many engineers in the world who have really understood fully how it works and how to push it to the limits mm. and we had kind of like two years of a head start doing exactly that i i knew large language models was going to be successful and it was going to change the world i just didn't know it was going to be that fast Right. Um, so I was excited about the technology to begin with. Now, in terms of the, the the dynamics of a pivot, I actually really liked our original idea, the inventions idea, because being an inventor myself, it just like I felt at home us serving other inventors and making their lives easier. I could understand their problems, um, having invented an electric bike and built a company around it before. So I understand the journey and the, and the challenges, and I could and I had a lot to say about um, those problems. Now, when we had to pivot, yes, it was a little bit painful to pivot away from that idea. Um, but when I think about it, I, this is how I reconcile it for myself. It's what's the job of an inventor is to solve a problem. There's an existing problem, use technology to solve it and make life easier. And once you succeed doing that, that's the fulfillment an inventor gets. Um, so yes, maybe the platform idea serving inventors didn't pan out, but the fact that we invented an AI product that can solve 
a problem, like an academic problem for billions. There are billions, like 1.8 billion students in the world. This could potentially solve it for. Um, mm -hmm. You learn to love it. You know, you learn to love uh, the the possibilities, the the impact that you're about to make in the world. You, you suddenly become excited about it. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 interesting, and and I think it is what's in, really interesting. My takeaway from that as well is that the, the fact that you re, you referred to yourself as an inventor as well, which I think is a is an interesting. I mean, obviously, you have a history of being an inventor, very literally, but but even in the context of you as a as a, a founder of a software business, I mean, that's something that is often mis you know overlooked, which is that you know software founders are inventors. You know, maybe not a physical. Um, physical creations but of of digital ones and actually there's there's a lot of um there's a lot to that actually that i not really considered until just now that there is a sort of a social responsibility there's there's almost an ethical responsibility and, and a, almost a liberating sense of like you can invent something and much like art once you put it out there into the world it'll be interpreted or used in ways that maybe you hadn't considered before it can it can some ways stop being your baby and it starts being other people's and i'd not really started thinking about that until you you'd refer to yourself as an inventor and just now and, and and now i'm starting to make that connection in some ways which is interesting and and you have to listen to what people are saying in response to your product i mean we all know that you know it's very important to to iterate with with feedback in mind and that's a pretty standard go-to-market approach these days you know get your product validated and get feedback and improve it and so on but but actually, there's a there's a lot of um, links between those the world of art, the world of culture, and the world of in invention. There isn't there that we could probably learn from. Yeah, you know, um, like back when we were in the process of pivoting. So, at, at first glance, this is how it looked like for me. Um, which is more impactful, helping someone build a hardware item, inventing it, and pushing it to the market, or helping someone write an essay? Mm. It, I mean, the invention thing sounded far more intricate. It sounded far like we're solving a bigger problem. But actually, when you look at the bigger picture, it's not. It's, right. it's, it's, it's actually, if you can take a problem that billions of people are experiencing and you make their lives easier, that's actually a much bigger problem to solve. Well, yeah, there's more, there's more people, there's more people uh, in education than there are who are inventors. So yep, you're absolutely solving a bigger problem. And I suppose also you're directly, potentially increasing the chances of there being more inventors in the world just by doing that as well. So you're still in some way solving the same problem. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's good. Would you, do you think you'd ever revisit that, that initial idea at some point in the future? So, you know, dare I say that I still think it has legs, but it mm. requires so much more resources. It requires, um, and, and there are a number of things that we learned about the inventor demographic in general. Um, we learned that they are so paranoid par by nature. <laughs> like, right. for example, if you want to help them prototype their idea, they just simply wouldn't share the, your their idea with you, even if you offer them a way to help building it because they they're so paranoid that they're going to steal their idea and, mm. and run with it. Um, and so it's a very hard demographic to, to serve and work with. Um, and also it's a, it's a hard demographic to target. Mm. Um, like for example, with students, we go to universities, we go to schools and, and we have people that we can talk to and, and, and sign on. But how do you find inventors? Especially if they don't, yeah. Especially if they don't want to talk about what they're doing, right. Then, then there's no, there's no trace really of them online and, and so on. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think theoretically speaking, the the structure that we had invented is beautiful, and theoretically it can work. But in practice, it requires so much to mm. to, to get it moving, uh, and and that's why I think we're in a much better position now. Well, maybe when you uh, you know go public with this company and then you sell, you know, you have an exit um, and you've got some money in the bank, then you can revisit it, you know, in a couple of years, basically, is what I'm saying. Not long. <laughs> by the sound, by the sound of things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's great. So, so this is a new direction, and sort of what stage is it all at now? You know, how how has this new direction been going so far um, with the yeah, with the, the the element of sort of the the predicting of the the exam questions and so on. Uh, what yeah, where is that all currently as things stand? So ChatGPT came out in December, um, and we actually had a lead when when ChatGPT came out because generative AI is actually exponentially more expensive the more you use it. Right. Um, and Rami managed to crack the algorithm back then, uh, which allowed us to reduce the cost of AI by a factor of ten. So even when ChatGPT came out, we were we were it was on our radar but it wasn't a massive concern um but then they went free and that really slapped us in the face mm. and we've been at the drawing board pretty much since january like what what exactly is um the the the, the continued version of youmaker and then that took us to going back to students and asking them what problems they face and you know how can we help them and the overwhelming feedback that we were getting greg was that look i really struggle with exams um, and I just want to get and help me to get through them. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what the website looks like. I don't care what color it is. Help me get through the exams. Um, and, and when when they said help me get through the exams, wh what you took from that was sort of translation. Help me be more feel more prepared for them, essentially. Yeah, I, I think Rami has worded this really well. You know, I think it's a, there's a saying by I think it's Henry Ford um, when he was designing the Ford Model T. Um, you know, he said, if I asked my customers, you know, what they wanted, they would have just said a faster horse. Yeah. Um, and you have to think of an idea which is intuitive, which is original, which is mind blowing. Um, and the, you have to interpret. Exactly. And yeah. we, so um, what we took from the feedback was that, look, I've struggled with my exams maybe because I'm anxious, or I struggle with my exams because I run out of time. I struggle with my exams because I revised the wrong thing. Mm. Um, and all of that then got Rami's, you know, um, massive mind kind of churning. He's like, well, let me think, what can we do? And so that led us to the product, I think around February time, you know, that, okay, maybe there's something here, February, March time, like maybe there's something here. So for six months, effectively, we've been building this latest product. Um, and it basically allows for a student to upload their course materials and, um, um they can with a degree of certainty get a level of insight into what's going to come up in their exams and anecdotally what we're finding in terms of the empirical evidence is students are more confident mm -hmm. um students um are more efficient they waste less time the remediation of um subject matter is much quicker so if they are struggling in say gcse maths on quadratic equations hypothetically the time it takes for them to sort that problem out in their head and understand it is much quicker um, through Umaker. Obviously, there's a lot more um, testing to do, but ultimately what we're finding is that there are many students who are going to benefit um, and uplift their grades as a consequence of, of using Umaker. And that's where the product is. I mean, it's, uh, I would say, 
beta kind of MVP stage, right? Yeah. Is that a good way of describing it? Yeah, or working on the MVP. Is it a closed beta currently or can anyone participate? You can register for early access and yeah. um, you may be selected to, you know, um, come in and, and uh, try it out and give us some feedback and we'll work with you to kind of like, we've already started doing it to some students and the feedback has been overwhelming. Um, you know, uh, there's the reason for this is, is actually there's a research, there's a lot of research around this area mm. um, that basically determine that there is a, a difference between recognition and recall. So when you're studying something, um, you you are reading a chapter and you're reading the information there and you go like oh yeah i recognize this i recognize this because the teacher talked about it i recognize it because i've studied it before and so when you see it again you simply recognize it now that recognition can play tricks on your mind because it gives you a false sense of security that you you know the subject mm. but then when you sit in the exam you're trying to recall it but you can't recall it as well and so um the, the optimum way of studying isn't necessarily to look at something and acknowledge to yourself that you recognize the subject, but to actually close the book, be asked questions by someone and see if you can recall that information without looking at any, any prompts or any help, any, any clues. Um, and, and that is like recalling information requires practice. So you need mm. to have questions answering them, answering you know, like ask someone asking you and answering them. And so when I um, uh, talk to um, successful students, I ask them about the, their, their revision process and they consistently say, we take the, the, the question, what well, we take the material, we create questions out of them like flashcards for ourselves and we let someone ask us, quiz us. That's until, interesting. Yeah. Mm. And, and I thought to myself, well, so how many flashcards do you create, you know, to prepare for an exam? Some of them came back saying like 150 flashcards, and that takes them days to write questions and answers on the on the backside of flashcard. And they're putting so much effort into creating these questions and they're sharing it with their friends to, mm. to quiz each other. And I'm thinking you're, you're spending days on this work when I can generate it for you in a matter of minutes. Mm. And I and I think the important point to highlight is that this is one of the material dichotomies that exists between state school and, and private school. That private school spends a lot more time preparing the student for exactly what Rami said. Right. And so they are much more accustomed, they are much more inclined to um, enter the exam hall with a sense of confidence and preparedness. Whereas in state school, it's not as much. And uh, God willing, you make it should be able to uh, to bridge that gap. And um, with the school's interest that we've seen of late, yeah, we uh, we think we're on an upward footing. We're we're onto something here. God willing. So so that's interesting. There's a couple of things you guys have said there that's super interesting. Like the first is, you know, well, yeah, I don't know which one to attack first, but um, I suppose that the, the the system that the students are using there, um, while by, while quite impressive, is somewhat flawed to an extent as well not only because of the time you know uh, issue there but but also because you can only really devise questions around subjects from which you're which you know to ask questions about right so there's almost a uh 
probably a natural bias built into that, that they're going to be asking themselves questions around topics that they are more inclined to be comfortable with answering. Yeah. Because you can't think of the question for something that you don't know the answer to, right? It's it's a chicken and egg thing. You're asking for people to to think of asking something that, that may not come up uh, or, you know, um, so, so that, that there's that, which I suppose your platform's going to be able to do in spades. And, and maybe, you know, if, if, uh, if you were to ask someone to sit down and write a list of a hundred questions and then you give them yours, they might go, wow, I have never thought to ask that one. You know, you probably get that a lot. Yeah. So there's, there's that side of things. But then also you mentioned about the public and private school differences. That's super interesting too, because yeah, I never really thought about it so much. I mean, I was publicly schooled, so I, I don't know what the experience, despite my accent, I was publicly schooled. Um, and uh, and yeah, I suppose that the responsibility for preparedness is on the student, right? In public schools, the vast majority of the time. I just assumed that that was the same in, in private school. I think, um, so um, the, the, the onus, I think, is always on the student. Of course. Uh, but the, the the amount of assistance um, and dare I say it, um, handholding is slightly greater in um, in a private school setting, mm. uh, uh, and that's a combination of variables. Uh, why is that the case? Classroom sizes are materially smaller in in private school. Mm. Um, there is a greater um, awareness of exam data. Uh, from a school's perspective, uh, mm. even more so with private schools. Why? Because they're competing against each other for for fees and for parents' attention, and they win yeah, money as the leader. Yeah. So they're like, listen, you know, if we've got a problem with one student on their exams, this is going to be detrimental to uh, to the to the to the school in general. And so, yeah. you know, they 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 really make sure that they're um, they're on top of it. Whereas the consequences from a state school aren't as abrupt. Um, mm. so that's I think uh, they still still get their funding. They still have a long list of students that that need that need to attend their school. It's not yeah the repercussions aren't as major if they don't have a higher pass rate as compared to a, in the private sector. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I think um you know that that's uh, that, that these these are important points to bear to bear in mind. The second is that once the student has taken what our AI has given them in areas where they are weak and strong. If they struggle on a particular area, this then takes them into our AI tutor. Um, and then God willing, they will be targeted with help on the areas where they are weak. And If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe, like, and share your thoughts in the comments. That's interesting. So, so not only will they be given essentially a mock exam, yeah, but then from that they could either retake that mock exam i assume as many times as they like or various iterations of that yeah. but also from based on the answers it will advise them on on what to focus on to get better exactly there's no point teaching a student something that they are already that they already know and mm. where they already have a level of insight and understanding um the the key to this is uplifting them in areas where they uh, struggle or where they have uncertainty um and that's what you make at its core does and does extremely quickly and does so extremely efficiently and that is overwhelmingly in the student's best interest in the parents best interest but also in the school's best interest um, mm. i think in the globalized world in which we live especially you know i mean i remember doing my, my postgrad i was competing against you know students coming over from china um and you know they used to walk into the exam hall with like suitcases you know and i mean you know in, in this increasingly globalized world you know the students are not competing now against um 
other students just in their in their immediate locality um you know it's uh, it's it's now much more globalized and uh, as i say you know we can we can uplift uh, millions god willing with this mm. and, and you mentioned there you know the benefits to the to the actual schools and institutions how do they feel about this have you talked to them i think the provisional feedback is was this when we were building it in q1 um, of this year they were reticent to a technology that could potentially replace um a teacher mm. um and that was that feedback was very strong and it was across the board private school public school state school academies tuition colleges even people um where where there was element of uh, homeschooling they were like look we don't want to replace the person who's actually giving the teaching um and so we very much took that on board um with regards to uh to the design um but they were very much forthcoming um and uh, excited about the prospect of uh, an AI tool that could make their lives easier. Um, that could reduce the administration, that can give much more targeted teaching, um, and to uplift the students in a, in a much quicker um, in a much quicker way. Um, and so um, the feedback was: look, don't take away our jobs, but mm. help us do our jobs better. And I mm. think what Umaker is. Mm. So are there conversations with some some educational institutions to maybe work in conjunction with them to to have this tool be made readily available to their students and and so on are you, are you going that route or is it more from some sort of the bottom up from the from the end user up um or maybe a bit a mixture of both what's the approach there yeah so i think as rami builds the product i mean as as head of sales i mean that's basically my job to uh, to figure out what is the best sales channel to uh, to 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 approach and to target and much like rami's doing with regards to endless experimentation of the product constant iteration constant feedback from users i'm doing the same thing on uh, on my side mm. um, just relating to customers you know what do you need what can we help you with how can we solve it what is your price point um and then once we've done that experiment hundreds of times will have made the determination as to what the best um uh, approach will be what i can tell you is that we're not going to go and cast our net you know very wide i think mm. we're going to go inch wide but mile deep we're going to capture a particular subset of um academia um and there's a number of different exciting ones i think um ones where you know we could really solve the problem um so a uh, good example, and I was having a conversation with um, uh, someone very senior yesterday uh, who's in the, in the uh, private tutoring world. And what she told me is that one of the big problems that exists within academia is with students who um, have been excluded. Hmm. So they've been either been suspended or they've been expelled, they're between colleges or they've been between schools. And oftentimes these students just fall um, you know, beneath the, 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 the cracks um, and they get left behind. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can offer this technology to schools, um, you know, and say, look, whilst the school, the, the, the student is excluded, there's maybe a scope to, to lend assistance, or we focus in on, um, like, for example, the homeschooling market, which is becoming increasingly popular, uh, year by year and is, is, is projected to, to grow, you know, in, 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 in popularity, um, you know, that's another area that we can go so it's it's a combination but um you know the coming months will 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 make that determination as to i mean yeah there are so many ways to skin this cat so many different go-to-market you know strategies you could develop i mean this is this is i mean it's a good position to be in to have these choices but it's also a pretty common um dilemma to be faced with well you know we can serve you know these these this subsection of of, of society 
which direction do we go in, right? Where do we go first? Exactly. Um, you know, you've got different age groups to consider, different uh, exam types to consider, private, public sector, you know, all of this. So, um, but I'm really glad to hear you say what you said, which is that you are spending the time to to iterate that. And it's um, and it's good to know that also you've got the support from Rami on that because of time and time again, I've been in this position as the first go-to-market, you know, team member of startups and I work with others that do. There yeah. seems to be this perception that in a startup, as soon as you hire a go-to-market leader, you know, a revenue leader in your business, that they should be able to figure it out straight away and start selling. Um, <laughs> and Oftentimes it goes wrong very much. Yes, well. it does. And I have to explain time and time again to CEOs, no, lower your expectations. It's going to take at least three to six months for that person to figure out and do research and speak to people because if they need to learn how to sell it, you don't know how to sell it. That's exactly. their job. So you're not going to, don't hire someone straight away thinking you're, they're suddenly going to start bringing in all the sales. That's not how it works. It's an iterative process, just like building the products was, you know? There's a reason why, for example, Facebook started not with all students, but with Harvard students. There's a reason exactly. why, for example, when Amazon started, they started only with books. And then they you, went. You are literally saying exactly what I say to to founders I work with. I always use those two examples. And I say Netflix. There's a reason why they started with DVD rentals. <laughs> That's my third one. Yeah, and, um, exactly. It, you know, you you if you cast your your net too wide, if you go too early, you know. And I think this is you know for, for those who are watching this particular podcast, this is a really important lesson that I've learned, in that in the startup world, especially in in tech. Um, you know, when there's VC money and there's so much expectation from your stakeholders, from your customers, um, from your employees, yeah, you know, there's this desire to move quickly, move fast and break things. And that's actually one of the hallmarks that comes out of Palo Alto, go quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's true. You do need to move fast because, the, the, you know, the technology, especially AI, it does move quickly. But simultaneously, there's oftentimes a need to take a step back and take a breath, assess the landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a very famous Chinese proverb which says, you know, when there's no clear option, the best thing to do is to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, for a for, for a founder, especially, you know, taking a breath can can oftentimes be um, very valuable to the business. Yeah, I'm a fan of the the expression of think uh, uh, move fast, think slow. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. There's this. You can't rush. Um, you can't rush uh, consideration. You yeah. Know? And once you once you've nailed your 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 mask, so to speak, it's very difficult to then change direction. You know, once yeah. you yeah, you know, and so yeah, hundred percent. You know, um, think uh, think slowly, but move fast. Mm. Well, I'm, yeah, it's a very exciting time, and and you, you guys have got um, obviously a bit of a road ahead of you. But but uh, but when do you imagine? Do you have any sense of when things? might be launched maybe Rami you you can shed a bit of light on that you know what how are things looking from a product perspective do you feel like you've got a good sense of when you'll be able to sort of fully launch or maybe at least go into an open beta phase as to, to as opposed to this more closed version yeah so um we have cracked a, a couple of really difficult problems when it comes to engineering the product um and mm -hmm. as soon as we crack something we invite some of the early um access users and say hey would you try this and see if, if it works in your use case? Right. And so um, we're, we're kind of that, doing that iteratively. Um, but I think we should be in a position, God willing, to open it up in, in December, or at least that's what we're aiming for. Okay. Interesting timing. Yeah, that's good. So not, not too far away, really, all things mm -hmm. is considered. Yeah, that's going to be that's gonna be pretty quick. I mean, this year has already gone pretty damn quick. So um, interesting. So, um, well, the new Gregory have gone bloody quick. I don't even know what happened during COVID. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, to be honest, it's, it feels like um, someone has pushed the speed up button on time since since COVID. It, it's like every year seems to get faster. I mean, it's it's obviously it's making me feel more and more like the chances of life being a simulation of, of, is very likely. Just by the fact that I feel like now someone is just going pause this uh, fast forward. This is boring. Get to the good stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like we're just we're just someone's just skipping right now just to get to the next next big event. Like that's what it is. Um, this life, uh, this life is an illusion. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> um, at least a large part of it, anyway. But uh, talking of life, though, like you're, you're both incredibly fascinating people, which is why I had to speak to you. And you know, thanks for telling me, obviously, about you, Maker. But I'm interested to learn a bit more about you too, as individuals. So, um, you know, uh, you know, Abs, you, you were very, uh, very kind and uh, with your introduction. Um, uh, talking about Rami, but Rami, what 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 do we not know about? And we can obviously find out a bit more about you. And, and I've got a lot of questions for you. But what what did um, what did uh, Abbas not say about himself that maybe he should have? Because I feel like he's also quite a humble guy. Uh, so if I was to summarize it, I I can hand on heart say that I wouldn't be able to be here if it wasn't for Abbas. Um, like he's he's God's gift to me to actually balance out and complement. Uh, skills that i don't have um and and abbas does that like even something as simple as this podcast probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for abbas and so uh he um is essentially embodies all the skills that a startup requires which i don't have <laughs> right. uh, that's really the best summary i can i can describe abbas with um so yeah we're we're true co-founders and, and we yeah. got them quite well that's how it should be. You, you, yeah, it's it's meant to be uh, t t two sides of the same coin, and you're meant to complement each other and, and you know fill each other's uh, lack of skills or, or complement the ones that you do have. So, so I'm glad to hear that. So um, so what what is it that uh, you did in your career? Ever do you think has served you well, uh, and maybe not so well? Because if you know, we talked earlier on about uh, the fact that you came from a, a a background which didn't allow for a huge amount of flexibility that may have been quite a struggle for you when coming into this environment for the first time but 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 aside from that what, what skills do you think you picked up along the way that have played a crucial part into being as useful as you clearly are <laughs> um so in terms of my job at umaker I, I consider myself to be front of house um so any role that involves talking whether it's with customers or with um uh, potential, um, um, excuse me, customers or with um, investors um, or with um, um, and, and the end user, this particular, um, I think, skill, part of it is instinctive. It just comes from who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, um, I did a venture uh, outside of my career, um, which forced me to to sell um and that required years of practice uh what, what was that what was that venture it was like a um it was like a shopping community randomly um i got involved in it and um ultimately it didn't work but it was one of the best educations that i've ever received um and it just forced me to i think overcome um any anxiety and just be utterly I think self-confident in, um, in 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 terms of the mannerism of my speech, and I think that's really helped. But also, um, this may sound counterintuitive, but doing the work that I did in in banking um, was, in many ways, um, soul destroying. 
Um, <laughs> that, I wasn't expecting you to, to end, end with that. Sorry, no, no, no. I was drawing up what you were going to say, useful or insightful or prepared you. But yeah, no, soul destroying. That's okay. I think it's because I became increasingly disillusioned with the work that I was doing. Um, the uh, It just conflicted so much with my personality. Um, and uh, I didn't see the, the value that I was adding. Um, and um what you mean ethically it was con conflicting society societally you were weren't sure where you were contributing how do you mean i don't think it's prudent for me to talk about um ethics in, in investment banking um right but um i think, <laughs> I think your viewers will, will make their own determinations as to the underlying ethics of that industry but i think it just came to the fact that i was just sitting at my desk um you know bunch of monitors and i was just staring outside the window going what am i doing with my life you know and mm. there's a, a very famous saying um that the salary that they give you you know it's it's a bribe it's a bribe to give up on your dreams and um i uh i i was just just restless i was looking for something um and then i uh you know by the grace of god rami comes up to me and he says look i've got an idea um and i was like Great, let's do that. <laughs> I just jumped head first. That's how all great adventures start, right? With one person coming up to another and going, hey, I've got an idea. <laughs> the rest is history. But, but uh, just to go off on a sidetrack briefly, and then we'll come back to this. Um, I'm curious, that sense of dread that you felt, that that sense of feeling that you were maybe wasting your life and, and in that career, how do you guys foresee ensuring that your company doesn't end up creating this, that same sense in future employees or current employees however they stand how how do you feel about that what what have yeah what have you got plans to avoid that from happening because you're going to be employers yourselves yeah right great question i think in the first instance point number one is that best idea wins best idea wins um it doesn't matter if it comes from remy me or anybody else um we we look at it on on its merits as opposed to where it came from and i think that fosters a very intuitive a very nimble a very kind of go-getting type of culture point one point two is that you know we don't particularly care as to um a candidate's um background um you know in terms of their academic background or their professional background or um you know we just care that for the role you know they they add value um and right. I think, um when you do that you then move away from you looking at the quintessential way in which people are assessed in 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 this life and and oftentimes in this industry you know um for my team hands down as god willing i grow the sales team you know if you've done you know three years in some front office role at some top tier investment bank selling uh, you know, top tier management consultant, you know, Oxbridge background, or, you know, I've encountered, this is in my travels, there was a shoe salesman, um, you know, selling shoe cleaning products. The level of endeavor, humility, um, application of that person selling shoe cleaner was infinitely more than anything i've encountered um on a more quintessential professional basis mm. um and um i think actually that's where um 
you find uh, the, the the risk mitigation in having your company turn into the quintessential kind of machine, you know, with all the kind of functions and everything else. Um, and that's not to say that we're not going to build a company in that particular way, but I mm. think um, the hiring is uh, is going to be a lot more nuanced than uh, than uh, than others, and I think that will help to protect us, God willing. Are you going to be a remote first organization um, as you grow, uh, or is the plan to to also have a, an office and, and ask people to come in? Do you have any sort of strategies for that? I think when we started, um, like we were very cognizant of our runway, and um, I'll be honest with you, Greg. Like you know, there are many companies that I've seen um, ultimately fold, not because they have bad people or bad products. Um, it's just because they have poor poor cash flow, um, mm. and so. Yeah. The maintenance of our working capital is, you know, very high on our priority list. Um, and, you know, then COVID happened. Um, and now we are in an era where there's very high cost of capital, low liquidity, relatively low confidence. Mm. Um, and investment money is, is harder to come by. You know, we're one of the few fortunate ones to have raised in this climate mm. um, by the grace of God. But um, I think all of those variables amalgamated together, you know, lend to a remote um a remote uh, approach first mm. um we believe that there's going to be a time um in our future when you know there's going to be a much more personable a much more tangible presence um and uh less decentralized but for the time being as we are in this phase of the company's journey you know we have to be reticent of uh, of our burn mm. no I, I only ask because it's um it's an interesting um predicament i think for businesses who want to work you know and, and build an organization remotely it's a it's a set of challenges unlike you know other companies have faced historically um a huge amount of opportunity uh, like you said being able to keep burn low not having to worry about the the overheads associated with you know renting office space nor all of the other costs and obviously people's you know well-being seems to be generally improved by not having to make the commute and so on but there's a whole set of challenges there that I work with a lot of my clients on a lot of the time, especially with sales teams, yeah. um, in that it's far more difficult to instill a culture, to have control over that culture, and all those values that you talked about, it's a lot more difficult to implement them um, because you just don't have as much control over, over that, really, you know, uh, and, and how people interact with their work is, is vastly different. You, you're having to take the approach more of um, managing output rather than managing the process. You know, yeah. and, and sorry, go ahead. Um, for a startup, I think having uh, a physical office and everybody being in the same place um, nowadays is a luxury for a startup to have that. It's, yeah. um, it, it, I believe it is better for a startup to have that environment because mm. startups are all about ideas and spontaneous interactions. And that lends to uh, coming up with solutions, you know. It, it's 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 serendipitous you know for people to be in an office and interact and someone will will say something that will spark an idea in someone else's mind and mm. that kind of like feeds on itself until a particular solution comes up and it happens a lot faster in that environment mm. um, but again that's a luxury um can you afford it yeah. a lot of startups in today's globalized world probably can't uh, unless they've raised millions of course um uh, so yeah, you're just going to have to be far more deliberate about the communication that you have if you are a remote company. Um, mm. You actually need to think through 
how can we emulate uh, a, a physical uh, interaction online? How can we do that to the best of our ability and be more deliberate, like actually put efforts into having Zoom meetings and communication and sitting down with the development team and 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 just like spend time brainstorming, even if it's just like cracking some jokes. Um, yeah. Just having that uh, will, uh, will help. Um, now, in terms of uh, what he asked uh, earlier about, you know, how do you build a culture that doesn't end up becoming like an investment banking environment? Um, <laughs> sorry, Abbas. <laughs> um, or, or, or any any job that, that could be soul-destroying, right? It's, let's, let's not just harp on about investment banking. <laughs> some, I'm sure there's some great investment banking organizations out there that people love working for. You know, I read a book um, that I think taught me a lot about this particular question. Uh, it's called Small Giants. Mm. And basically, it talks about companies who choose to stay slightly smaller, even when they do have an opportunity to grow big. Mm. Uh, you know, for, for the company leaders, once you grow to a thousand employees, company leaders will have no way of having that personal touch with the employees anymore. It mm. becomes kind of like a broadcasting exercise where, you know, management has something to say and they broadcast it. And there isn't like us sitting in a room with the entire team and just um, talking like like friends or, or, or a family would do, for example. Mm. Um, and so those companies, they choose to be small in order to retain that, uh, that spirit in, in the company. Um, and he introduces, like the, the author of the book introduces um, uh, uh, kind of a difference uh, in those companies that he highlighted. And he's saying basically that the big companies, the soul destroying companies, it's basically you have the shareholders that come as a first priority. Then you have the customers, second priority. Last priority is the employees. Mm. And the author of the book basically flips that formula on his head and saying that the companies that always prioritize their employees and they rally their resources in service of the employees, um, they tend to create the best cultures. Uh, and then at, as a second place is the customers and at the last place is the shareholders. Mm. Um, the, those that actually follow that framework tend to create better companies. So and, I don't know, very and longer term shareholder value. It's, yeah. it's it's counterintuitive, but actually in the long term, the shareholders make more money with that approach. Yeah. Um, I think a second point is worth mentioning is that we're a SaaS company and SaaS companies historically don't need a, an abundance of human capital um, to uh, to scale and have like you know very far reaching effects. I mean, take Twitter for example. You know, Twitter has massively um, you know, cut back its um, its headcount uh, mm. still remains incredibly effective, and there's nothing stopping Twitter continuing to grow uh, with the exact same headcount that it that it has. Um, mm. Is now not dependent upon more people coming into the organization, and that's one of the advantages of a SaaS company. I mean, again, you used an example that I was literally just thinking of of, of Twitter and the fact that Elon's massive approach to that. He understands that that exact framework you just talked about there. Um, and and that you know ten percent of the the workforce does ninety percent of the work and and realized that you know you would just create he just created a, you know Twitter created a bureaucracy machine machine essentially the decisions couldn't be made effectively or quickly that like you were talking about us you know you can't make effective change you know in an organization like that you know think you know things can't be pivoted on and, and and things like that and he he recognized that as one of the biggest problems of the company and just so right you know enormous amount of you are gone i think it was something i think it was well over half of the employees out the door see you later and yeah. um and that's that's quite a common thing with with um with modern uh modern leaders who take over uh 
take over large corporations, they recognize that there's a lot of dead weight and they just need to, to make things a bit leaner. And that's not a bad move. But I'm really glad to hear you say that as well about um, about being, you know, recognizing that as a as almost a, a, as a strategy, essentially, for your growth, to recognize that you need to keep it lean and keep it small, because that's something that I think all too often uh, founders get a little overexcited about the prospects of getting revenue and 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 or investment and just go, oh, we're going to have, you know, hundreds of people. And it's like, and that's almost a status thing to say, yeah. you know, I've, I've worked with companies like that. Definitely. I'm proud to say we've grown to X amount of people over yeah. this period. And it's like, that's not that's not impressive. What's impressive is how much revenue you turned over, and more importantly, how much profit you made. Where's the profit? Like, is... I don't, why is no one talking about profit anymore? It drives me up the fucking wall. By the way, we can swear in this. It drives me up the fucking wall that no one talks about profit anymore in business. You know, I, and I, re re revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think um, you know, as an accountant, like I'm 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 readily aware of of um you know our cash flow but also uh both ends of the uh the pnl and um mm. it, the, the the ultimate aim for um for a startup such as ourselves isn't to hire an abundance of uh, an abundance of staff or to have a flagship office it's exactly what you're saying greg it's ultimately creating shareholder value and we do so in serving our customers and solving their problems uh, and if we can do that then um yeah we're on a we're on a good footing um and uh yeah god willing we'll keep going for abbas and i a far more impressive thing and that's actually where where should be the measure of the status is when we hear of a tech company that scaled to a million a uh, hundred million in revenue with a team of like six people. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. we're impressed by. Like you know, yeah. I mean achieving such a feat is uh is really what um uh for me, I mean th those those founders are legends. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I'm the same as you. If I hear those stories and I actively seek out stories about um, even solo founders who are able to pr produce um, uh, multi-million dollar uh, companies who are solo tech founders, and there, there are a lot more of them than we than you know than we think. Uh, who like you know, especially if you look into things like um, Chrome extensions. Mm. There's a surprisingly large amount of millionaires in the Chrome extension space, all solo. Like they haven't got a single employee. They just created something. They released it. It went well, and they're on to the next project. Like, damn, that's impressive. But yeah, like even even a small team, absolutely. You don't need you don't need that vanity metric. If you you know think of yeah, if there's something you can do, do it. You don't need someone else necessarily to be doing it. I've read a similar type of case study on people who create um, gifts. Do you, do you know gifts? Like mm, yeah, yeah. Anim the short animations. Mm. People have become extremely wealthy. Just really interesting. Creating gifts and quitting their jobs and just doing that absolutely, um, absolutely full time. And mm. goes to show, you don't need five hundred people to create a billion dollar company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you also don't need to have necessarily um, the most super advanced, newest, innovative thing in the world. Uh, you just need to give what people want, and sometimes that can be quite simple. You know. And, and and I think that that relates very well to to, to, to you makers endeavor and our underlying mission in that in that mm. you know um, if we can help students be more prepared for their exams uplift their confidence reduce their anxiety help them be better 
with their time management, especially do so in regions where, you know, the classroom sizes in some countries in South Asia are like 60 to one, you know, they're not going to have the chance, you know, um, yeah. to get themselves out of their current economic state. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a dream, you know, but yeah. worth, worth fighting for. Yeah. And, and it's one that, you know, there's there's definitely an argument to be made that you're in uh in the space of positive social impact that it's not just a tech company or an, a new ai company that you know that you're 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 looking at solving a real societal problem here and i think there's a good case for that i don't think that would be in any way you know trying to um, adopt a term you know to try and make yourselves look better like you actually are tapping into a very important societal issue here um, you know, not whether it's in 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 Asia or, or here at home, wherever. Like that, every country has these problems. So. Yeah, I, I think education, especially what's happening now, Greg, is that in the post-COVID, we had we had the Lehman crisis of two thousand and eight, and that stretched government finances. Um, and then we had the sovereign debt crisis, and then we had uh, COVID, and mm. finances are shot, especially in the UK. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, this is a similar story in many regions uh, across the world, in EMEA, East Asia, um, Latin America, and even North America and Europe as well. Like, um, there isn't, education isn't a priority for, for governments, point one. Um, and there isn't the, the resources available to, um, to help solve what are the many problems in, 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 in academia. And it's, in my view, you know, largely dependent upon private enterprise to um, to solve these problems, um, because I can assure you, it's it's not the problem. The solutions are not going to come from local government, municipal government, or national government. It's going to come from enterprise. They're not going to come from an organisation that's only interested in being elected for another four years. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you know, Rami, same thing to to you. I mean, we we. Uh... I, I, I grilled um, Abs there a little bit on on his his background, and uh, your background's been alluded to somewhat. I'm curious to know more about that because you've done some very interesting things in your time. So, um, physicist, inventor, previous entrepreneur, you refugee, refugee. Um, yeah, I mean, so tell me more about about you, you, what you've been up to over the years, and and more importantly, tell me how on earth you've managed to do it all uh, <laughs> in such a short period of time. Because that's what I want to know. Yeah, because because now I, I'm starting to believe that you are either supernatural or maybe you have a twin you're not telling people about. I um, I actually think Rami like is the next like I think he's like the Arab version of Elon Musk. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm not so stuff. Thank God. Um, you know, um. Uh, when Abbas earlier said that, uh, you know, Ram is calm and collected and, and it's like, you know, we've talked about all that, you know, to be honest, where that comes from is from my religious convictions. Like that's really okay. what, what anchors me. Like when the going gets tough and I don't freak out is because it's my religious conviction that gives me this inner peace that, you know what, um, there's a plan. There's a plan and we're going through the motions. And when I have convictions in that, I just, um, it, it, it just, things work out a lot, a lot better. Um, and you know, I say like, how did you do it all? Honestly, I don't like feel I, I've done much. It just so happened that I was put in a position or I put in a series of circumstances and I just had to um, 
uh, accept those um, experiences with grace and run with them. And I think that's really the secret to it. Um, it, it, it just, it's, it's just the way uh, things stand out. Now, I want to focus a little bit about um, the refugee element. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I've, I've moved a lot. So I was born in Iraq. I've, I've grow, grown up in Sweden, studied in the UK, then moved to the, to the US. So I've kind of like seen a lot of cultures. I've been able to empathize with a lot of different people and the problems that they have, the way they, um, uh, their approach to solving problems, etc. Um, the one challenge that I had growing up, especially in Sweden, given that I didn't speak Swedish when we first moved there, is I fell behind when it comes to my academic um, achievements. Mm. It, it, like language was really tough. Um, mm. I, I managed to crack maths. I managed to crack um, physics, sciences, but language, that was really tough for me. Um, and it feeds into everything else. So like it was such a huge handicap for me to kind of like, like I'm, I was always uh, catching up. And so when you asked us earlier on about, you know, um, are, are we excited about the current trajectory that we're on? Actually, there's a personal, um, there, there are personal experiences that I went through, which make me relate to students who have been left behind because of certain handicaps like that. Mm. And, and what really makes me excited is what we're building here is a product that should exist. Because if, if it had existed when you were going through that, you would have absolutely jumped on it. Exactly. This product, and, and like when you think about the idea, now, now that it has been distilled in our minds, we really believe that this product should exist. It, it's such mm -hmm. an obvious thing, and it's going to solve problems for so many, uh, so many students. But the fact that it levels the playing field somewhat is what really makes us excited. And, and when we think about the greater good, we think, yes, we, we have something amazing here. We should pioneer it. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, so. Did you did you? Uh, I mean, and I'm in agreement. By the way, I'm not I'm not brushing that off. I, I absolutely agree, and, and that's good to good to hear. Uh, but uh, do you mind me asking? Did you eventually learn Swedish? Yeah, yeah, you did. So you flew in, in Swedish. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, no, that's impressive. Uh, not an easy language to learn, I, I suppose. Especially, I don't know. Probably, I would imagine one of the most difficult aspects of that is the difference in the extreme difference in structure as a language to to that of your native which what language uh 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 you natively speak uh, my mother tongue is arabic in arabic right so yeah i mean structurally incredibly different <laughs> you know ba based in very very different linguistical foundations there so um but but i now assume that because you've you you have a, a good understanding of arabic and european languages so english and and something like swedish you must be pretty good at being able to pick up languages now because you, you if you have the, the understanding of those foundations right um i think that's true when it comes to the latin languages so for example if you learn spanish it's easier to pick up mm. portuguese and, and, and spanish so like the, there are a collection of languages that that holds true but for example when you go from arabic to swedish to Chinese, to you know, like completely different languages. I don't yeah. think that, that yeah, matters yeah. as much. Um, but I was fortunate in a sense that when we moved to Sweden, I was still young, and so when you're young, you can kind of like pick it up. A bit more malleable, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yes. it's also like if like just to give you some understanding as to how difficult it is. Arabic is written from uh, right to left, mm. and Swedish is written from left to right. Just that, just just that in and of itself. I mean, I don't know how he did it, but. Mm. Uh, it, he, again, he's being overtly modest because Rami has an exceptional ability to um, absorb information, analyze it, synthesize it, 
um, evaluate upon it um, and understand it like faster than almost anybody that I know. Um, I know, you know, when one of the advantages of working in banking, especially, is that you're surrounded by some very, very, very intelligent people. Um, and that's certainly been the case in, in my career. Um, but um, I haven't met anybody like Rami. That guy is uh, he's a machine. You, yeah, there's a chance that you may actually be AI, Rami. I think that's what we're getting to. <laughs> it's possible. Because <laughs> what you've just described there is a large language model, right? Just so we're clear. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, what was I going to ask you about there? You just made it. Yes, you mentioned about your, your faith and how that um, plays a big part in, in, in your demeanor and the way that you deal with things. I find that infinitely interesting. I'm not I'm not a man of faith myself. I I I, I consider myself to be um I, what do I consider myself to be? Uh, a Jewish atheist, I guess. Because <laughs> I've got Jewish heritage, which you know, if your mother's Jewish, that makes you Jewish. I'm not a practicing Jew. I don't believe in any particular deity. I'm 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 yeah, somewhat agnostic and 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 mostly um an atheist, I guess. So yeah, I sit I sit in <laughs> very much in the middle of lots of different things. Um and one of the things that I, 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 I struggle with when it comes to religion is, funnily enough, the thing that you just brought up there. And I'd be curious to know what you think about both of you, because I mean, I assume, I, I'm assuming you're both both men of faith. Yes. Um, and it's this idea that there is a plan. And the reason why I struggle with that is because for me, it feels like it robs the individual from the responsibility, both good and bad. For if things go wrong and if things go right so like you just said there well you know you're following god's plan so you've, you've, you've had all of these fortuitous things occur and you're attributing that to someone else i feel like that's doing you a massive disservice there because of you know from my perspective as someone who doesn't believe in a god you're responsible for those things and you should give yourself more credit <laughs> you know <laughs> um so you know and then and then equally if, if things go bad you know then then potentially you know i don't know do we blame ourselves in that situation uh, as as religious individuals or or do we own up to that and take responsibility and 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 move on from that so i don't know i'm just curious do, do you feel like you're you're giving in some way someone else uh, credit for for your own achievements there a little bit uh, so oh yeah go ahead no 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 i think uh I don't know. Do you want to take it? I don't know. Sure. sure. <laughs> it's a big question. And look, I never, I never said this was going to be an easy conversation. I'm throwing the things at you. So I was just so curious. We have no idea. We'll be talking about this. I promise you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's come up. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal question. Like um, faith in startups. Um, Rami, you, yeah, go for it, and then I'll, I'll God willing, give my, give my thoughts. I, I think we kind of like touched on it a little bit earlier when you mentioned, for example, the. Um, um the what did you say uh, illusion uh, what did you say um the the, the kind of like the, the famous idea about this world being uh oh uh, the the this uh, simulation simulation yes yeah. yes so they will live in a simulation and so like if you think about this simulation um uh, idea that we are somewhere else and we have been kind of put into this simulation that has been orchestrated for a certain purpose. Now, what that purpose is, maybe we don't know yet. But but let's just run this with, with the run with the idea of that simulation. Um, now, if you are in a simulation and whoever put you in that simulation, you somehow find a connection with, and you create this trust. You have this trust that whoever put you in that simulation is doing it for the right reasons. 
not sinister reasons, but for the right reasons to bring out the best qualities in you. It's almost like, let's say I build an AI or I build a hologram and I come to you and say, hey, Greg, I'm going to put you into this hologram and you're going to go through a number of experiences. And those experiences, some of them are going to be hard. Some of them are going to be joyous. Um, but a combination of those experiences are going to bring out your innermost qualities and is you're going to come out the other end of that hologram a much more experienced, more solid person. Mm. Um, and I think when we look at life in that in that sense, it and I've experienced this myself is is I noticed people who see it as a hologram simulation illusion kind of thing where there is a purpose and there is a plan, it kind of changes their entire outlook on the world. And that outlook starts feeding into um, everything you do. Now, to your question, do I feel like I've been robbed of some credit? I don't think so. I actually, sometimes when things happen, that yes, I mean, I have participated in the mechanics of achieving a certain outcome, and maybe there is a bit of credit there. But what I feel far more is that I feel blessed that I've been put into a situation that turns out so well. And I've been, I feel almost like I'm the chosen one, you know, I've been chosen to be put into a certain position, into a fortuitous uh, a position. Mm -hmm. And and so, no, I don't feel like I've been robbed of credit. I feel there is an abundance of blessing that gives me encourage, encouragement to keep going. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Sorry, Abbas, before I get your your uh, answer to, to my tricky question there I, I, I just quickly want to throw in that that's really interesting your summary of that because that's a similar uh, philosophy I guess I have on my life but taken from the atheistic standpoint um, based on ideas such as which to some people can be quite daunting but I actually take quite a lot of comfort in which is in the idea that the the universe is um, is random that it's mostly chaos and so on and there's a lot of uh, data and research done on this idea that um, that the chances of being born are infinitesimally small, right? That your odds of being alive um, at any point in the history of the universe are infinitesimally tiny, you, of you being you. And in some ways, I take exactly that same thing. I consider life and every aspect of it a blessing because of that fact that it's the, the chances of me being here at this time, in this body, in this country, you know, it is, is just, you know, absolutely astronomically ridiculous um and then in that same notion as well this idea that there's um that life is kind of something that that uh, that is there a friendly reminder to share this episode with your network subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments it really helps us out thank you that every every interaction we have every experience we have just makes us a better human being that's where I start going into the territory of thinking, well, if there is a God, I believe the God to be actually everyone. Because if, ev you know, if, if God is there to test you, well, then everyone put on the planet is responsible for the, the trials and tribulations that you go through. So in some respects, we're all God, you know, which is, uh, which I just want to share that thought with you. Uh, but, 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 Alice, what about you? What's, uh, I know you have a few things you want to say on this topic. I think I'll start from a kind of broader perspective and then try and drill down further to your question. I mean, ultimately, what we're discussing here is 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 a lifelong debate between kind of like evolution and, and creationism. Mm. Um, now, what you're saying from your perspective, Greg, is that if there is an all-knowing, all-powerful God, 
and something happens to me, um, or in your case, if you make a particular determination, a decision, whatever, and something good comes of it, then you're saying it's going to quote unquote, you know, rob you of your freedom. Whereas the way in which I think Rami and I believe um, is that God is in control of everything, but simultaneously we have freedom of choice. You have free will. We have free will. Yeah. yeah. All within the confides of a of the godly system. And mm. so um, whilst I have made the determination, God is ultimately running everything. And I think when I look at it from that perspective, in that I still have freedom of choice, it's within the confides of that godly system. That's mm. how I reconcile it, that actually I'm, I'm not being quote unquote, you know, robbed of the decision making. It's still ultimately my decision, but um, it stays within the, the, the godly framework. That's kind of mm. one. Um, point two is that further to your point about, look, the universe is, what you said was that the universe is quote unquote chaos. Um, whereas I believe the universe to be wonderfully designed. Um, and actually that's that's spoken about in uh, in scripture. It's, it's very much emphasized in, uh, in the Quran. Mm. Um, but there's a really powerful um, scientific um, uh, assessment of, of life and it's actually really profound and it says the likelihood of just life originating by chance mm. is comparable to a dictionary being compiled from an explosion in a printing factory <laughs> yeah so imagine a, a, there's just a printing factory and it just randomly explodes and then a dictionary is compiled every single letter just falls into place randomly 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 um and uh it just compiles a perfect book there comes a point in mathematics um when the likelihood of an event occurring is practically theoretically impossible um and this life this world i think has gone way beyond um by an order of magnitude that that probability yeah it is statistically zero um well you know i, I don't want to get too far into to this because it's a bit of a wormhole but like i suppose the the quantum mechanic um explanation for that would just be and you you may be able to you know uh rami say something to this considering that you you study physics i, I and i'm not i'm not a physicist so i might get this completely wrong but i believe that the response there would be well if you had an infinite number of uh book uh batteries exploding then your chance of actually creating a dictionary would no longer become in a, you know that it would be it would be a certainty it would no longer become you, you see what I mean? Like it's it's about it's about the the opportunity for something to occur. You know, in the same way that if you were to flip a coin, uh, you know, infinitely for you know for, for the forever, then you know you you would eventually get every combination, and you would eventually probably just uh, get like ten heads in a row. Like suddenly, probability changes by the by by the length of time in which you have something. But then equally, I don't think that actually in any way this discourages that idea of creationism. Um, I think that there's there's a harmony in both. Both the scientific side of things and 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 in the religious side of things when it comes to that that debate you know um uh, eventually i actually wrote a book in swedish um of course you did 
<laughs> yeah, you forgot to mention author as well. Yeah, was it was it a bestseller? Because I, I, I assume no, no, it was. I, I never I'm, just assume that, I'm just going to assume it was, and that you were on Oprah. And... <laughs> no, 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 I, I never published it. But oh, okay. the reason I brought it up is because it talks about this particular, you know, um, philosophical questions in terms mm -hmm. of like mysticism combined with science, right. physics, um, and, and how do you reconcile the two, etc. And so. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, for example, if if the multiverse theory was uh, was real, and there are an infinite number of universes, then um, uh, and a certain outcome is inevitable. In fact, every outcome possible is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, because there's an infinite number of universes. Um, the, the the trouble with that theory is we don't know that there is an infinite number of universes. There is a theory. In fact, it's a belief. Mm. That's a belief system. In the same way that God is a belief system, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. You know, infinite number of universes is also a belief system mm -hmm. to try and uh, and explain. Now, what is what is more likely for something to to exist an infinite number of times, which is actually something that we've never quantifiably we, we've never actually measured infinity. We don't have any examples, real examples of infinity. It's a theoretical concept, mm -hmm. um, uh, but we do have precedents for someone creating something. <laughs> that's that's the far likely, more likely um, uh, uh, mechanism for something to come into being. Um, so, so that's why I choose the intelligent design um, uh, theory as opposed to the infinity of universes. Um, mm. But you know, there's one meme that I really like, and I think it kind of like uh, bridges the gap in, 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 in the understanding. And then the meme goes like, they show a picture of twins in a mother's womb. Mm. Okay, so uh, uh, there's, there's basically a, a, two babies in a mother's womb, and, and there's there's a picture of that, and then they have like thought bubbles or like speech bubbles, as if like the twins are talking to each other, and one twin is telling the other twin, and is asking them, and and he's asking, saying, "Hey, brother, do you believe in life after birth? <laughs> do you do you believe?" in mom and and the other the, twin, the, the great mom yeah <laughs> yeah do you believe in the great mom that is sustaining us and providing for us and surrounding us and is is all around us and the other twin turns around to the other brother and say like nah i don't believe in that nonsense i mean have you ever seen mom uh yeah. I, I don't believe in life after birth like you know that have you and so i think that that kind of like is a, is a great analogy because well, if you want to try and understand the belief of people like me and Abbas, the way we believe it in is exactly the same way, that the universe is almost like a cradle that God is, is, is holding and surrounding every single thing that is, that is within it. Um, in the same way that the mom is feeding these babies, we're getting our daily provisions. We're getting our, uh, you know, like all that is happening within this little um, simulation, so to speak. Yeah, um, and so like it's it it's it's a completely different way of thinking about about reality. But I think what's more uh, fascinating is when you adopt a certain point of view of the world, it does have a significant impact as to how you go through the world. It's, mm. it's the experiences that you put through. And so, for example, this lends to our startup experience. That particular point of view, that worldview, when I speak to other founders. I see it as an advantage that I'm holding because it makes my journey so much more um, 
palatable, so much so much easier because I feel like there are other forces surrounding me and I'm kind of like moving alongside it um, as yeah. opposed to resisting, um, you know, uh, some 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 random plan that has targeted mm. me <laughs> to, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you, if you, if you understand. What no, I'm I know what you mean. It, 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 to some extent, um, and maybe correct me if I've not, if I'm not summarizing this correctly, but it sounds to me like you, you're you're embracing this this idea that you are being empowered through through some means uh, other than yourself that allows you to execute, as opposed to maybe going through life um, feeling something of a victim, which I think a lot of people do. You know that 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 if you feel the world is against you and that everything is a struggle, um, which it 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 can be, but if your perception of that is just you know that it's unfair and that you don't understand why it's happening, as opposed to I understand I'm being tested, yeah, then it's it's a very it's just a it's a very different approach. You, you suddenly deal with problems in a in a different way, and and in in some ways I I massively agree with you, and I don't know where that comes from, but I. Because I'm, as I said, I'm not religious, but I, I feel like there's some some approach there to maybe a spiritual approach there that I adopt that's very similar in that you know it would be very easy to to sit down and go, well, this isn't fair, but um, but instead I choose much like you to go, all right, bring it on, <laughs> you know, uh, I get why you did this and I can see the benefit to me going through this, so thank you. I don't know who you are or what, you know, like, um, but uh, yeah. So I know I completely understand. And I think that's, uh, I agree. I would agree that gives you an advantage. Absolutely. There's actually, um, uh, the way in which Rami and I try to approach things is if anything, for example, doesn't go well in our, not just business life, but in our personal lives, we ask ourselves, rather than asking ourselves, why is this happening to me? We ask ourselves, what is this trying to teach me? Right. Um, and um, I think having that ideology, that perspective, just makes the journey much more fun, mm. uh, much more efficient. Um, so that's point number one. Point number two is that I don't know, Greg, like in terms of this podcast and how many founders you've spoken to, but I imagine those that openly come out and say, "Look, I'm a, I'm, I have a fear of God. Um, I love worshiping God," and it's the core and most central thing in my life. I imagine Rami and I are in the probably in the minority. Yeah, I think it's the first time I've had a conversation this in depth, at least about religion. But I do find it incredibly fascinating and, and grateful that you're both willing to talk about it. And the point I would make, I think, from a founder perspective uh, or from a startup perspective, um, is that, you know, in this life that we live, like where there's the likes of the, the Elizabeth Holmes and the Sunny Balwanis and the Bernie Madoffs, and the charlatans and the snake oil salesmen and all that jazz mm. actually having founders who are godly who i mean who aspire to um a particular standard and living their life in a particular framework admittedly not always succeeding um in that endeavor um but at least the aspiration is there mm. i think that's refreshing um i, I think agree. i think you know if you're an investor um, and um, you're, in, you're investing in a company and the founders, you know, subscribe to a, a particular faith, you then know at least there's a, there's a level of effort to do business at least in, uh, in the right way. Um, and I think that's, as I say, I think it's refreshing and I think more people should do it.
Mm. No, absolutely. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And, and to your first point about, um, about how when you experience something potentially de- you know, negative or, or a hardship and your approach, both of you, to, to, to look at that and say, okay, well, what can we learn from this experience? is something that I, as an approach that I think everyone should take regardless of religion or no religion. Like that's that's just a healthy approach to dealing with problems, I feel like, you know, and it's not one that enough people do. That not enough people are analytical and also thinking inwardly about, you know, and being reflective about that. You know, what did I do wrong in that situation or maybe to have, you know, caused that situation from arising? What can I do better um, what can we do better? You know, those kinds of conversations. And, yeah. and ironically enough, I've met religious individuals who are um, who actually managed to use their religion as a reason to escape that <laughs> analytical process and say, well, it went wrong. Uh, you know, it's God's, you know, God's fault. I don't need to dwell on it. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to spend any effort into thinking about how to avoid that from happening in future or um the, the the converse to that of just you know blaming god and, and i think that's you know or blaming others which again you don't have to be religious or not to, to go through that but just being a victim either a victim of god or a victim of society a victim is still a victim right so i think it's a very important philosophy that you both have that definitely gives you both a, a huge advantage more so just from the philosophy perspective not the religious one it doesn't matter what god you believe in what matters is how you conduct yourself and they were good human beings, right? <laughs> That's what matters. So, but no, it's very interesting. And I, and I appreciate the conversation, talking. Greg, man, what a bloody podcast. <laughs> we just like, I just like talking about things that I like talking about. These are things that I like talking about. And, you know, um, my, my listeners seem to like hearing what we talk about. So I'll keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. My, my approaches to this is like, this is the kind of stuff that I would be talking to you guys about if we were sat in a cafe somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, that that's the way it is, you know. Um, so, very, know, stim- very stimulating podcast. Um, Amazing. Well, really good. good. So, yeah, I'm glad you enjoy it. But uh, I do have a couple more questions for you before I let, before I let you go, if that's okay. Um, I, because I'm curious. On the topic of spirituality. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have to uh, I have to pray, um, and I haven't prayed, and I've got um, I see the sun coming down ever so slightly. So I've only got a few more minutes. Uh, to of do. Um, so my I can just do that, and I sure, can... and then come back. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you also need to go, Remy? I, yeah, I actually do. Um, okay, let's take a let's take a just pray, but I actually can't come back because I have another appointment. Uh, oh, okay, no problem. Well, in that case, we can say goodbye and um, and then Abbas, you can go and pray and then you can come back and I'll I'll just edit the breakout. It's not a problem. I'll, I'll be here. Beautiful. Okay? I appreciate yeah? the accommodating. Okay. No, no, of course, no problem at all. Greg, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for a very thought provoking <laughs> podcast yeah. and pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure too. And uh, hopefully we'll get to speak again soon. Uh, I'd love to have you on again and, and talk about it. And, you know, you're, you're based in the States, right? Uh, right now in the UK, but yeah, ordinarily yeah, okay. in the uh, London? Uh, I'm currently in Scotland. Oh, in Scotland. Oh, okay. Lovely. Yeah. Well, it'll be, you know, maybe one day we'll bump into each other in some events here and there. But um, but either way, we should definitely speak again. Um, I'd, be, I'd love to catch up in a year about the progress of things. And I hope it all goes well, you know, through the beta and into the launch. Um, oh, yeah. Thank right. you so much, my Bye pleasure. Speak soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi. Hello again. Thank, I, I just took the opportunity to, to get myself a drink and, and nip to the loo. Uh, uh, so. I appreciate you accommodating. That was no, of course, of course. It, it, yeah, if I'd known, uh, we, we could have arranged it at a different time. But uh, we'll, we'll know for next time if we decide to do this again. So we can make sure we, um, we book it at a, at a more convenient time. Loo. 
Greg, honestly, like uh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't believe it's this is we've been talking for like over 90 minutes, nearly 100 minutes. Yes, yeah, yeah, can't believe it went that quickly. I mean, yeah, when people when people initially say, you know, oh, you know, I tend to book two hours, and and there's a bit of trepidation about them wanting to book in, and I said, trust me, it will go fast. And then once they do it, we come to the end, and I say, right, well, we're about to wrap up, and they're like, wait, what we could keep going, you know, but it does. That's because we're having a good conversation. It's you know? part of your style, Greg. Like it's so fluid and there's no friction whatsoever. You feel so at ease and you're just willing to divulge and disclose and just um yeah, you, you know, you have oh, a good. really good manner, Greg. Honestly, it's well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That really means a lot. Thank I'd love so to not just in the podcast setting. I mean, we should definitely hang out, man. It's such a joy to speak with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're you're based in London, right? Yeah, yeah. Based in yeah, London. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I I don't get there that often. Um, but uh, I'm there usually for networking events. Like I, I actually volunteer at one um, uh, whenever it's on. So yeah, when when we're about town, maybe we should um, arrange to grab a coffee together and, and catch up. That'd be that'd be awesome. I have a friend of mine. His name is uh, Duccio Zambrini. He's like one of the largest like networkers in in um, in the UK. Mm. Uh, and he 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 runs a host of like networking events, like property networking event or. Um, um there's crypto networking event there's kind of like startup networking event he's got so many and oh, awesome. uh, he's been doing it for years um and so basically um his next i usually go to his ones because like they're just so enjoyable and uh, he's been doing it so long you know he's got such an eclectic mix of people uh that come to these events and they're all at like private members clubs in london so they're like they're they're not packed it's just good and good amount of people mm yeah come to one of those or i can come to one of yours i mean it would be it'll be good to catch up yeah send me some information about that that'd be great i'd love to i'd love to go i'm always looking for new you know i'm on the lookout for new things to go to new people to meet and as you can tell i love conversations so just i just love meeting new people and and, and getting new ideas about things and yeah. you know i'm like a sponge you know i just want to want to get it all in uh in my head and, and probably forget it moments later but, <laughs> but at least i try <laughs> but, uh, but yeah the biggest thing i love doing is just having conversations with people you know uh, like the last event uh, like i said i volunteered and my main responsibility for for this for the guy who runs it who i know quite well now um he'd asked me to go around and tell people essentially about the slack community for the network group and try you know basically you know say look join it's great it's more of this but it's there kind of thing and i was like that's a perfect job for me because I get to walk around and speak to people. And of course, as I'm talking to them, they're like, what do you do? And I explain, oh, I'm a commercial advisor. So I, you know, I advise people and, and on how to make money and this, that, and the other. And then they start throwing questions at me and I'm like, right, this is what you need to do. And then, you know, <laughs> then I'm off <laughs> half an hour later and I've only talked to one person. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun, I enjoy it. So, but yeah, any, any information you have on that, I would love to, love to know about it. And it would be, yeah, like you said, it'd be great to meet in person and, um, and chat even more, but, um, yeah, and we, we are coming towards the end, so we, we, we'll look at wrapping it up a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, have you had any more uh, thoughts since since you since you uh, ran off to pray about what we were talking about uh, to summarize, or did you want, are you happy me to ask you the next the next question that I have on my mind? I think, like you know, the final point that I made just on you know a startup founder being godly, I think is a positive. I think is a positive. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Industry yeah. for the the investment base, um, and um, you know, for me, it's been you know the saving grace uh, of my life. I mean, I don't know what I'd be doing if it wasn't for um, for my religion. You know, it's interesting because in some ways, I I because I, 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 I agree to an extent, but then in some ways, I, I almost want to catch myself and say it shouldn't matter, right? 
in the sense that in the same way that gender or race shouldn't matter. Um, I had this conversation recently with someone actually about this because there's a lot of politics 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 uh, around race and gender at the moment, especially gender, um, and especially in the world of business and you know how many female founders there are or how many founders of color there are, et cetera, et cetera. And mm. and 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 my response to that is has always been that it shouldn't matter. We, we I don't think we should be looking at filling quotas. I don't you know it's about great ideas. It's about the quality and 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 measurability of someone as an individual, um, their personality and their soul. I think that that is to me what is most valuable, and it doesn't matter what gender they've been prescribed or or, or race or where they've grown up. You know that shouldn't play a factor. And I wonder if religion, in some way, should fall into that. While I understand that, of course, there is an association there between those two things. However, that's different compared to maybe skin color and gender. That's that's where I'm not too sure because of actually a lot of those philosophical frameworks actually come from from a particular religion right so that's where i'm uncertain so i i i have difficulty in amalgamating between these kind of like very worldly um predicaments you know this this gender debate um and for the record i, I believe there's two genders um as is as is prescribed in in my faith likewise um and um uh, as it relates to um you know race in technology um or the fact that you know case in point i think i read somewhere that only three percent of venture capital money goes to female founders which i thought mm. was an extraordinary statistic yeah and you take all of these discussion points all of these conflicting viewpoints um as you say you know it's oftentimes politicized um but then i think there's a material dichotomy between all of these discussions which are very worldly and the discussion that we were having specific to god right. uh, which transcends i think um this world and so i don't know if i can i don't know if there's much scope for for overlap in um in that regard because now we're talking mm -hmm. about something that's much much bigger than ourselves um mm -hmm. there's actually a a very famous verse in the in the in the Quran, which says, uh, "This life is but fun and games. This life is but fun and games." And it it links very nicely to your earlier point about this life being an illusion. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we talk. The the best means by which I can explain it is that if um, you were to live on this earth for a hundred years, or even if you were to extend that to 1,000 years, even if you were to extend that to 10,000 years, Greg, it's finite. There's a beginning and an end. Mm. If you adopt a, a, a religious perspective, especially if you subscribe to um, Judaism, um, Christianity, or, uh, or Islam, the, the monotheistic faiths, you are of the opinion that the afterlife, and there is an afterlife, is, is infinite. And so, irrespective of the length, severity, inclination of this time on Earth, whether it's a hundred years, a thousand years, ten thousand years, relative to the afterlife, is zero. Mm. Thing divided by infinity is zero. And so, I think this lends to to Rami's point quite nicely in that we try not to take things too seriously we try not to get caught up in the in the wave 
Um, and inevitably, as a startup founder, you're going to go through a wave of emotions. Um, and I think um, hopefully that provides some perspective as to like some of the differing discussions which are pertinent um, and which I have an interest in, certainly, um, relative to what I think to be a, a you know, the, the, the godly discussion, which um, you know, pales everything else in, in comparison. Yeah, because of the scale of of that, as as a scale, the magnitude, the prowess, yeah. majesty, all of it. Mm, yeah, it's interesting because I um, and and again, I don't want to go too deep on this. Maybe we'll save this for when we when we grab a coffee together to go in more detail. But I I have some thoughts around afterlife, and I actually do believe in something. Um, I won't explain exactly what it is because we would need a whole other two hours, perhaps, to go in get into that. Um, yeah. But not 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 as as um, as created by a deity or, or necessarily any um, any individual force, but but rather something as a result of of existence itself. And and for that, in fact, that again, it, it almost deifies existence for me and, and makes that just like the sort of the, the chances of being alive um, and you know put it sort of in combination, then then makes life that much more special. You know, in some ways, um, in that it is it, in the same viewpoint, you know, that you made that it is a, a, a actually a, a, a tiny fraction of what my consciousness is likely to experience, um, and in fact, that I'm very likely to experience, I believe, an infinite amount of of experience um, through consciousness, and this is going to be probably just a very, 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 very small, almost non-existent portion of that ex of that that experience. So it's interesting. I, I, we kind of share that thought i i haven't got that maybe as clear as perhaps you do i don't know um but um because i don't i don't have a framework for that that i'm using i'm i'm kind of i'm trying to figure out my own which probably isn't a good idea maybe i should i should look to my my uh my heritage for my inspiration that it's already written down there i don't know or someone else's but um so there's there's two points i would make is, is the first is that if you look at this this what this life the world that you see around you, um, the buildings, the trees, the animals, the humans, the laptops, whatever. Mm. It's a combination of cells, effectively. Mm. A combination of cells. Um, but if you were to open up that cell, Greg, what you'll find is a very, 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 very minuscule um, neutron mm. around it there are spinning electrons but most of what's in that cell is empty space mm. the overwhelming majority of what's in a cell is emptiness mm. and so further to your point you know this world being quote unquote an illusion it's actually literally so mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's point number one point number two is that Rami and I don't subscribe ourselves to quintessential or you know traditional Islam. Um, we believe actually that organized religion is corrupt. Uh, I think that's the the, the 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 word that we would use. It's, I, it's, I would probably be inclined to to agree with that statement. Yeah, it's flawed. It's corrupt. Um, and whilst it does do good in the world, you know, let's not shy away from the um the evil that's also propagated mm. and this discussion that we are having and oftentimes these discussions are very much philosophical ideological mm. subjective arbitrary um 
what Rami and I found, and this actually lends to the Jewish faith, is that if you were to assess the, mono, the monotheistic faiths, specifically Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the central, the central um, message the, or the core um, philosophy, aside from doing good, you know, don't cheat on your wife, don't steal, all this other stuff, which is, you know, um, specific to all three, the core message across Judaism, Christianity, and Islam is that A, there is a God, and B, there's one God, monotheism, mm. the concept of one God. Um, and if you were to look at the Jewish text, specifically, uh, I'm not talking about the Talmud, I'm talking about um, the Torah. Mm. And if, uh, if you were to look at uh, Aramaic, um, uh, the, the language in which uh, the, the Bible was written, or if you were to look at Arabic, the, the language in which the Quran is written, if you were to take the word one in Hebrew, i.e. one God, one in Hebrew, one in Aramaic, one in Arabic, what you'll find is that prior to an established numerical system, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and we have numbers. Actually, in the time of um, the Prophet Muhammad in, in Mecca, there wasn't an established number system. What they did is that they used letters as a mechanism to um, measure and to quantify. Mm. And the same was in the case of um, Jesus and Aramaic. They didn't, and, and, and the same was the case with Moses and, and Hebrew. Um, it's not too dissimilar to like Roman numerals. They just use letters and they substitute numbers in, in um, for each letter. If you were to take the word one in Aramaic, um, the numbers that were attributed back then in that system, if you add up each letter in that particular um, word, the word one specifically, you get the number 19. If you were to um, uh, do so in, in Hebrew, the word one in Hebrew, in that numerical system, the number adds up to 19. And if you um, do the same thing in Arabic, the word one in Arabic is wahid, uh, W-A-H-D, or the equivalent Arabic letters. Again, you get 19. What Rami and I subscribe to is less opinionated, but rather very scientific approach to to religion um we disassociate ourselves from the commentary or the politics um but because of this very intricate numerical system and it actually says in the quran that look this is a mathematical book um there is an entire miraculous coding within the Quran, which does away with the subjectivity or the opinions or even discussions like the ones we're having, creationism versus evolution, da 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 da, da. Mm. On the back of this intricate, amazing mathematical miracle, it proves um, overwhelmingly the existence of God. Um, and for Rami and I, that's the basis upon which we have I think found our religion, um, abandoned traditional Islam, 
um, and um, subscribed ourselves to this particular philosophy, not because of an inclination or an instinct, but because we believe it to be proven mathematically. Mm. That's interesting. So what is the significance of the number 19 in all of that? Well, it's everywhere within the Quran. Um, so, for example, um, the the first verse of the Quran is um, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. And that has 19 letters. You would say that's a coincidence. And I, I said that's a coincidence. If you take, for example, the number of chapters in the Quran, there's uh, 114, which is 19 times 6. Again, a coincidence. Um, if you were to take, for example, um, the number, well, if you were to take, for example, all of the numbers that are mentioned in the Quran, so that it mentions one God, it mentions the seven sleepers of Ephesus, it mentions, you know, 3,000 angels guarding you, it, it talks about, um, you know, the seven universes. If you were to add up every single number mentioned in the Quran, it comes to like 6,554, which is 19 times a number. If it was one more or one less, it wouldn't quite, um, it wouldn't be divisible. Um, but embedded within the Quran is this phenomenal, very intricate, very um, simple to understand, impossible to imitate mathematical code, which transcends all of the letters, which transcends all of the chapters, which transcends all of the text. Um, and then all of these small coincidences just keep on adding and adding and adding and adding and adding together, not just in Arabic, but in the Christian text, but also in the Jewish one as well. Mm. Um, and uh, it proves without any shadow of a doubt that um, there is a God, because only God could have written a mathematically coded book. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so that's fascinating. I'd heard something similar uh, like that about the Torah. I'd yeah, I'd not. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, and, and not, it, was, it was Rabbi Judah, Rabbi, Rabbi Judah the pious. He actually stumbled across the same code um, in the in the Torah, hmm. uh, and it's based specifically around the 1919 based mathematical miracle. Interesting. And uh, yeah, it's um, like so. I then, said, so then, all three are talking about the same God, presumably. Oh yeah. 100%, every single one, the same so, God. So which religion's right? So we we subscribe to the notion per the Quran that every time a community um, is established on earth, they are sent a messenger, for example. So you're given, for example, Abraham, and then you're given Joseph and Jonah and Lot uh, in the case of um, Christianity, it's um, it's uh, it's Christ, and then each one of these messengers of God, they they promote and they advocate for one singular message, which is worship God alone. Um, indeed, there's actually a verse in the Quran, which is in chapter three, which says, um, "Those who are Jewish, those who are." Christian and those who are converts, those who believe in God, lead a righteous life, um, and believe in the hereafter, they will have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. And so, you can, if you if you dedicate yourself to to one God, you don't commit any idol worship, and you stay within a framework which is entirely godly. Um, you are practicing uh, monotheism pure monotheism which is exactly what 
Jesus promoted, it's exactly what Abraham promoted, and it's exactly what um, Muhammad promoted. And so you can technically be a Jewish quote unquote submitter. You can be a Christian submitter, you can be a Muslim submitter, but the entire facet of the ideology is that you're dedicating yourself to one God, one supreme uh, being. It's mm. interesting. And and what does the Quran or any of these texts make clear why it is important to submit to one God? Like what's what's the rationale behind that in, in the sense of yeah, like just just why essentially? <laughs> like, you know, uh, well, I think that's a question that has baffled humans since the dawn of mankind. Why am I here? What is what am I no, doing? No, no, no. I'm not, I don't mean that. I mean more so. So you know, if if the if the if the, the texts are saying you know, so long as you submit to one God, yeah. then you will be you know be spared, or, 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 or like how you put it very eloquently just then. But then, but why? What's the what does it does it at any point explain? why that's an important thing to do oh yes it's it, it goes to the very notion of redeeming your soul and right. so uh, you're familiar with um so there's there is the concept of original sin mm. uh, and basically uh this is actually i believe and this is what the quran talks about as well that this is actually misconstrued in modern day world that people think the original sin is adam eating from an apple in in uh, in heaven but actually the original sin um stemmed from there being a heavenly community once upon a time and in that heavenly community was god running reigning supreme and then there was um angels and there was one angel that developed these exaggerated ideas of being able to be a god next to god and um and that angel is satan and in order god knew that this would oh, be this would this is a something that would occur and um god then created adam and asked all of the angels to prostrate before adam and satan refused and he said, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then what God said was, you are then banished. You are then sent away from this place. You can't be arrogant in this place. And um, what then happened was basically um, what Satan said was like, give me respite. Give me respite until the day of judgment. Um, and in that moment, there was a heavenly feud. There are those who sided entirely with with God, and according to the Quran, these are classified as angels. Then there are those who class who, who sided with with Satan and said, actually, he can, you know, manifest this particular claim, and they became jinns. Um, and then there are those in the middle, um, us humans, who were not sure. And um, the way in which the Quran describes it is that we were given. A chance to repent and we refused what we did is we wanted free will which goes very nicely to our earlier discussion we said look we want to we want to see satan's claim um and so i want the free will to make the i'm going to make the right decision but i just want to see if satan's claim is, is correct so we were sent down into this illusion this dream world um to, to make one final stand um against satan and uphold god alone 
Um, and so you ask why, that's the kind of backstory to it that both Rami and I believe. Interesting. That's that's really fascinating. And I don't think I've ever had anyone as put it to me as eloquently as that before as well. That's um yeah, that's really interesting. Well, look, we, we are gonna have to <laughs> wrap it up because otherwise we could probably keep going. Um, as is often the case, uh, which is which is good. So um Look, to, to shift gears a little bit, um, and by the way, my main takeaway from that is just that God, God doesn't do co-founders, by the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, just to tie it back into <laughs> to what we started. Can you please, if there is a portion of this edit that 100% makes it into the podcast, can you put that in, please? <laughs> sure. I beg put, you, that I'll is my this. request. <laughs> should, I, should I start a, a t-shirt company that says God doesn't do co-founders? At the beginning. Do you know when you're doing a highlight reel? Just yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put that. Okay, oh, this will be the guy in the beginning. <laughs> no problem. I will do. Re request approved. I'll make sure of that. Um, but yeah, just just to wrap things up, then what I usually like doing really briefly at the end, if you're okay, just a couple more minutes. Um, sure. I just, uh, you know, for anyone listening out there, obviously the vast majority of the people listening are are founders, just like yourselves, co-founders, um, and so on. And you know, you guys have been through a lot. So, what are the, maybe some some key tips or, or lessons that you've learned that you want to maybe share uh, for others out there? Maybe things that people aren't, haven't thought about that could be quite useful. I'm just going to leverage on the advice that I've received or I've read uh, on my journey thus far. Um, mm. The first is, you know, a very powerful commentary by Mark Andreessen, um, you know, probably one of the best venture capitalists in history. Um, what he said is, is that in VC world, you know, they look at three quintessential areas, you know, the, uh, the team, the, the product and, and, and the market. Um, and uh, this is, you know, advocated religiously um at business school whether you're at harvard or at saeed or whatever um that you look at these three core components and then you drill down um you know accordingly um and there's this kind of like debate like so which is what is more most important is it the market is it the product uh, is it the team um and um the lesson that uh, i've learned actually and a lot of people say it's the uh the the product you know are you solving the problem um but uh and that's true, but um, there's a reason why, for example, Y Combinator in their application process, which is a, you know, arguably the most successful accelerator in history, spend so much time looking at the team. Um, you know, have they worked together? Um, you know, are they able to you know, grind it out, you know, stay positive um, and not get run away with the emotion of it? Um, that's advice point number one that you're going to go on an absolute emotional journey during your startup you're going to cry you're going to be despondent you're going to be disillusioned you're going to be sad you're going to be upset it's going to strain your existing relationships you know you're going to have no friends it's oftentimes very lonely um but you know this is the world that you're getting into and i didn't know that when i left deutsche um this is what awaited me um but and then this brings me to point number two um that the emotional roller coaster um, and everything that you learn along the way from a personal perspective, from a business perspective, you know, there is absolutely no postgrad, whether it's the ACA, which is what I did, the MBA, uh, the CFA, or anything else comes even close to giving you the knowledge and the experience that a startup would do. So if you're thinking about doing a postgrad, join a startup, absolutely do that. Um, mm. And so that's point number two. Point number three, I just alluded to it earlier. Um, you know, there's a huge desire, emphasis, requirement almost to, to move quickly, but sometimes, you know, taking a breath, 
taking a step back is is really good um, for you uh, as a founder. Um, and oftentimes that time can unlock you know other avenues which are even more beneficial uh, or more even more lucrative possibly. That's point number three. Um, so those would be my my three principal pieces of advice. Mm. And, and great piece of advice. And, and to your last point there, I, I often receive messages from my guests after this con these conversations saying that they've found something of that that piece that you were talking about, that moment of pause in these conversations. And I, I hope you have too, because it's very you know few times uh, as a startup founder where you are actually able to stop and talk with someone for two hours about what you've managed to achieve and and you know have a chance to reflect on that um and so you know hopefully this encourages other people to do the same maybe just sit down and have a conversation with a friend or a contemporary and just talk and just talk about the journey um because i think that could, that sort of reflexive practice can be incredibly beneficial um and yeah and i liked your first point have faith right it's very important. It's very important. in whatever form that takes for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And God doesn't like co-founders. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, man. It's been so great to speak to you again. And what a um, podcast! This has been the best I've ever done. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, yes, tell, some distance. Well, good. Well, you know, like tell tell people to listen to it. I need more more listeners. We've got a, a good good amount, but we could always do with more. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I'd definitely be interested in having you both on again at some point um, uh, for round two. And I'll have uh, I'll have some more tricks up my sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you need me. I'm here, man. Honestly, this is a this is a joyful experience. This doesn't even work for me. This is this is brilliant. OK, well, that's that's the goal. That is the goal. So I'm really glad to hear that. I just want people to just chill, have a good conversation because if I it's a uh, it's it's my most favorite thing to do. So. I very much look forward to this episode. I'm going to send it to everyone. Oh, cool. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. Well, look, man, have a great rest of your uh, aggressive, well, evening now. Um, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, enjoy the rest of your evening and the rest of the week. And um, and yeah, pop me over some details about any events going on that, you know, we could um, we could meet at. That'd be, that'd be really awesome. Yeah. One second. So events and um, ping me your, uh, your address. I'll send you over a copy of the Quran. Just put it. Why not? Why not? I'll put it right next to the Torah. <laughs> but uh, but no, definitely. Book. I mean, the best book I ever read. Believe me, it'll blow your yeah. mind. Yeah. Well, look, I've got the Torah. Um, my mum got me one um, because I asked her to to, to get me one because I do want to read it. Um, uh, and I, I'm not, not get around to it yet. And and look, I I I I want to absorb as much information that's out there in the world, regardless of where it's from. I I, I don't believe on uh, you know being. Uh, what's the word um ignorant to to information just because i maybe don't believe in something i think that's a very stupid way of approaching life so so yeah by all means i'll, I'll do that um Next. i'll be right. recording you and with regards to the introduction to um to duccio uh but yeah absolute pleasure Greg. thank you so much my pleasure all right take care speak cool. soon bye, -bye. Yes. bye thank you for watching and or listening please like subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below